So after you find Hebrews 11, let's stand together. Let's read this one verse. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for so many things, and we continue to give thanks. Of course, this time of the year, we seem to really think about that as it's a holiday. And yet, Lord, uh, we know that as with most holidays, for many, it's just a secular observance. But, Lord, we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Everything that we have, everything we enjoy, it all belongs to you. It all comes from your hand. And we are stewards of it. And, Lord, we ask you to help us to be faithful stewards. But, Lord, we pray this morning that as we think about uh, the message of your word, as we think about the life of faith that you want us to live, help us to learn from these Old Testament examples And help us be challenged this morning to walk in faith. And, Lord, that uh, we would be known as people of faith. And, Lord, help us to uh, be known that way corporately as a church, but also individually as believers. And, Lord, we pray this morning as we worship, Lord, that our hearts would be set on you and that uh, you would be pleased with our worship today. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going through the Hall of Faith, and so far we have seen the life of faith demonstrated through worship and demonstrated through walking. Today we are going to see it demonstrated through working. We're going to see it demonstrated through Noah's obedience to God in building an ark. James 2.26 says, Faith without works is dead. That is a major theme, as you know, in the book of James. And the message is that genuine faith is always demonstrated in some sort of action. If you truly believe God, there's going to be some sort of evidence of that faith. In other words, your faith will show itself in works. And, of course, we know that no one can ever be saved by works. We are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone. But true faith always produces good works. And really, we see that all of these examples in this chapter, we see them demonstrating various aspects of faith, but perhaps no one demonstrates that faith works greater than Noah. He is the epitome of obedience to God. He showed his faith in God by doing what God commanded against incredible odds and incredible opposition. Abel demonstrated the worship of faith. Enoch demonstrated the walk of faith. But Noah demonstrated the work of faith. And what we see in Noah is the bedrock of genuine faith, which is 
obeying God. The Bible is crystal clear that salvation can never achieve by one's works. But the Bible is just as clear that the person who is justified by faith will produce good works as evidence of that faith. The person of faith will obey God. I mean, just think about the passage of Scripture that we generally turn to when we want to make the case that salvation is not by works. What is it? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, that no one should boast. Now, that's pretty much a slam dunk. You can't be saved by your works. But do you know what verse 10 says? It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul wrote, Instruct them, that is, wealthy Christians, to do good, to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. There are a variety of ways that genuine faith is demonstrated in good works, but it always produces this kind of evidence. We see this really all throughout this chapter. Each of these examples of the life of faith shows itself in some form of action. Faith is a lot like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. And in the same way, faith is internal, but it is always demonstrated by some kind of external action. Faith cannot be seen except by the things that it does. And that is clearly what we see in the example of Noah. In Genesis 6-9, we're told, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. There is no doubt that Noah worshipped God as Abel had, According to his will, he no doubt brought a blood sacrifice. He also, as it says here, walked with God as Enoch had. He was a man of faith who lived a life of faith. He is an example of Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. But with the example of Noah, it's as if the author of Hebrews is carrying this one step farther. Because Noah did something that is absolutely incredible by faith. John MacArthur writes, Noah's faith was stupendous because of his absolute trust in God and because of his unhesitating and persistent obedience for 120 years in an undertaking that from a human perspective looked absolutely absurd and totally impossible. 
Now, we're going to see this in three parts today. They have a very simple outline. Noah's response, Noah's rebuke, and Noah's righteousness. Let's look, first of all, at Noah's response. Look with me at the first part of verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. God warned Noah about some things not yet seen. What were these? Well, rain for one. When this warning came, there had never been any rain upon the earth. Up until this time, there had been a protective canopy surrounding the earth and a mist that watered all the plants. There had never been any floods before. And it's really hard for us to even understand how Noah could have comprehended this because none of this stuff had ever happened before. But God told him it was coming, so he believed God. And the thing he did in faith to build an enormous ship in an area where there was not even any large body of water is absolutely incredible. Now, most Bible scholars agree that Noah lived in Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers a long ways from any ocean or even any large lake. So it is very difficult for us to imagine how hard it must have been for him to obey this command from the Lord. And yet Noah dropped everything and started building the ark. By the way, how would we respond if we were given a command like this. Can't you just hear all the excuses beginning to fly? Most of us would have been too embarrassed or too overwhelmed to even begin a project like this. And we would probably have done everything possible to get out of doing this. But Noah immediately went out and began cutting down trees. And remember, Noah had a fraction of the light that we have. He did this on the basis of extremely limited revelation from God. Yes, God spoke directly to him, apparently, but he did not even have the Old Testament, much less the New Testament. And think about this. Noah spent 120 years fulfilling one command from God. I think we would have to call that long obedience. And again, what the author of Hebrews is illustrating is not just one single act of faith, but an entire life of faith. There's no indication that he ever questioned God. He just obeyed. He continued to obey through the thick and He continued to obey when there was ridicule and opposition. He continued to obey when it wasn't easy to obey. All throughout his lifetime, for 120 years, 
MacArthur says, among the countless faithful saints who have endured and persisted in obedience to God, Noah stands supreme. For if for nothing else than the sheer magnitude and time span of his one incredible assignment from the Lord. I mean, just think about the enormity of this task. The ark was over one and a half football fields in length. Depending on the size of the cubit, which is somewhat unclear, the ark would have been anywhere from 438 feet long to 510 feet long. It was at least 73 feet wide. It was more than four stories high, at least 44 feet. It had a total deck area of 96,000 square feet. And the total volume within the decks was about 1.3 million cubic feet. Folks, this was no small boat. This was a ship. God had to tell him exactly how to build it. Because nothing like this had ever been built before. There is no doubt that he had absolutely no concept of an ocean-going vessel like this. Naval engineers have determined that the dimensions and the shape of the ark make it the most stable floating device ever devised. It was not designed really for maneuverability, but for stability. And the main thing was that it was able to float for a long period of time without capsizing. And think about this. Noah probably had to build it all by himself. Because Genesis 5.32 tells us that even his sons were not born until he was 500 years old. And by the way, I'm not even going to bring up any of the liberal arguments against the reality of the flood or the accuracy of the text here. I'm just going to assume that you believe God's Word and that you believe this literally occurred in history. But all these things that took place with God judging the world through a worldwide flood were things that had never been seen before. This is why Noah had to exercise faith. He clung to the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. He had nothing at all to go on except God's Word. But for him, that was enough. For Noah, God said it, and that settled it. He would devote his entire life in obedience to God. He believed God, so he labored for 120 years with no regard to what anyone else thought. He sincerely believed he could trust God, even if it took him 120 years. And his actions proved that his faith was real. But notice some details in the text of verse 7. First of all, the phrase, being warned by God, implies direct 
revelation. Genesis 6.13 tells us, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, that is the wicked people. And behold, I am about to destroy the earth with water. I'm going to destroy them with the earth, he says. Now, immediately after that, in Genesis 6, God told him exactly how to build it. He told him what it was to be built with. He told him how high it was to be. He told him how many decks it was to have. He told him about building a door in the side of the ark. He told him about building a window at the top. He told him exactly what steps he would need to take in order to build it, etc. And notice how Noah responded. Hebrews 11.7 tells us he began preparing the ark in reverence. That word likely means with godly fear. It implies deep devotion to God. He treated the warning from God with great respect and awe. And by the way, this probably implies also that Noah had been a man of faith long before God gave him these instructions. He had likely obeyed God in many smaller things prior to this before God gave him this one great thing to do. And that serves to remind us that if we want to accomplish great things for God, we first need to start with being faithful in the small things. If we are going to move to the graduate school of obedience, we have to begin in kindergarten. Now, another thing to note here is that when God called Noah to this gargantuan task, He told him of the covenant that he would make with him. And we see that in Genesis 6, 18. The Noahic covenant is the first covenant mentioned in Scripture. This covenant promised the safety of his family and the preservation of all the living creatures in the ark. And please understand, folks, the rainbow was given by God as a sign of this covenant. This symbol has been stolen by the LBGTQ community, but it belongs to God and it will forever be the sign of the Noahic covenant. And when you see it, it is obvious that it is of God as it stretches across the heavens. Well, Noah's response to God was one of genuine faith. Faith and obedience are biblical synonyms. His active obedience proved his faith. There's a second thing that we need to see here, and that is Noah's rebuke. Go back to verse 7 again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen... In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world. The ark was 
the vehicle of salvation for Noah and his family, but it was also the symbol of condemnation for the rest of the world. And what we have to understand here is that Noah was doing more than just building the ark. He was also passing on God's warning to the rest of the world. In 2 Peter 2.5, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. In other words, God called Noah to be a preacher while he was building the ark. He's He's kind of like I am, part-time preacher, part-time construction worker. Seriously, the, the preaching part was no doubt harder than the building part. John MacArthur says, hard jobs are always easier than hard people to deal with. And Noah's preaching was during the most wicked time in human history. In Genesis 6, 5, we're told, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's why God determined to destroy the world through the flood. But part of Noah's job was to warn the people of this impending judgment. He no doubt pleaded with them to repent of their evil and uh, wicked deeds and their unbelief. After all, they had the same opportunity to know God and His way as Noah did. The difference was not in the amount of light they had, but in how they responded to it. And by the way, this, is, <clears throat> this was another important element of the condition of mankind at this point in history. Uh, Genesis 6-2 says something very interesting. It says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Now, without going into too much detail, I believe that the sons of God here were demons who cohabitated with women and created an unredeemable race. First Peter three nineteen and 20 tells us that there are some spirits who are now in the abyss who were disobedient during the days of Noah. I believe this refers to these demons. But this just adds to the wickedness of these days. And the Spirit of God said He could not strive with these wicked people forever. There had to be judgment. But as always, God's judgment is always tempered with His mercy. So He allowed them 120 years to repent. He sent them a preacher to warn them. So we read in 1 Peter 3.20, The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. The people had ample warning of the coming judgment, and they had enough knowledge of the truth to respond in faith as Noah did. In fact, the very Spirit of God was striving with them. 
seeking to turn them back to their Creator. But ultimately, all of this served as a rebuke against them. No one repented. I mean, think about this. Noah preached for 120 years without one single convert. And it was not just his preaching that was a rebuke. It was also his life of faith. In the same way that black always looks darker when you put something white next to it, so a godly life becomes a rebuke to those who are in wickedness and spiritual darkness. It is said that a young man in Athens once said to Socrates, I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am. A man of faith is an indictment to those in spiritual darkness. That's why our world often reacts so negatively toward those who are seeking to live a godly life in this world. So that was Noah's rebuke. But there's a third thing that we see in this passage, and that is Noah's righteousness. Look with me one more time at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah also became an Old Testament saint through faith. He also, just like Abel and Enoch, had the righteousness of Christ imputed to his account even though they lived thousands of years before Christ came into the world. He is declared in Genesis 6-9 a righteous man, blameless in his time. Now, that doesn't mean he was without sin. He was born with a sin nature just like everyone else since the fall. It just means that he became righteous through the exercise of his faith in God. In Noah's day, the world was pronounced guilty, but Noah was pronounced righteous. This is the forensic righteousness that the author of Hebrews is talking about. It is the righteousness that is acquired by faith like Habakkuk was talking about. The just shall live by faith. And what we need to understand here is that the ark became a symbol in Scripture of the salvation of God. There are many ways in which we see the connection between God's physical salvation of Noah and his family through the ark and the spiritual salvation of his people through faith in Christ. For example, the Hebrew word for pitch has the same root word as the Hebrew word for atonement. And as I'm sure you know, it was the pitch that kept the water out of the ark. And so it is the atonement of Christ that keeps God's judgment 
away from those who are in Christ Jesus. Our eternal security in Christ is pictured by the ark. We are safe and secure in Him. And the salvation of God is never pictured as someone, you know, hanging onto the outside of the ark, you know, trying to survive. No, it is always pictured as one who is safely inside the ark and God Himself having shut the door. Oh, my friend, please understand, your eternal security has nothing at all to do with your trying to hang on. Our eternal security is all of God. He is the one that holds us safe and secure forever. The Apostle Peter points to the analogy of the ark as a comparison to our salvation in Christ. In fact, turn with me for just a moment to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three. Look at verse eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The context is clearly the days of Noah and the construction of the ark. He talks about those demons who are now in the abyss, who cohabitated with the daughters of men. He talks about those eight people who were brought safely through the flood in the ark. But notice how he applies this in verse 21. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Now, this is not talking about water baptism here, but spiritual baptism into Christ. It's talking about the cleansing of spiritual regeneration. In other words, this is speaking of the salvation that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ today. And the ark is a picture of that. Clearly, this is how the New Testament writers understood this analogy. It's also significant, I believe, that the New Testament uses the illustration of Noah to highlight the suddenness of the future judgment that will come at the second coming of Christ. In fact, turn with me for a moment to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. 
Matthew 24. And look with me at verse 37. Jesus said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, that's not really talking about the wickedness of the days of Noah, although we know that uh, that was a time of extreme wickedness. No, this is talking about the suddenness in which the judgment will fall. People will be doing normal, everyday things, not expecting the judgment of God, and it will suddenly come upon them as Christ returns, just as they weren't expecting the floods until they came. So the people in the last days will not expect Christ to return and the judgment that He brings until He comes. But going back to Hebrews 11, what is the point? The point is that Noah was declared by God as being righteous, meaning that he was part of God's redeemed remnant. O'Brien writes, the deliverance, i.e. salvation of Noah and his family, his house, from drowning was an essential line in God's saving purposes for his people, and it provides a way for his listeners to think of salvation from death and judgment for themselves and for others in God's house. So how should we apply the message this morning? What should we get out of this? Well, first, I want to warn against a misapplication of this text. I've heard a lot of faulty ways that people have taken this. As with all the Old Testament characters, we as Christians today cannot take the unique things that happened in their lives as totally normative for us today. And what I mean by that is that we can't assume that God is going to speak directly to us and tell us to go out and build an ark. We can't expect that. First of all, God is not giving direct revelation today. He speaks to us through His written Word. And He convicts us by His Spirit to obey the things that He has commanded us to do in His Word. But we should not read this verse and then conclude today that God wants us to go out somewhere and build something. We need to be careful about how we apply this. I heard of at least one preacher who took this as God's message to him that he was supposed to go out in the middle of nowhere and start building a church building with his bare hands. Didn't go so well. Besides that, 
we should know this. The building of the church is not accomplished through gopher wood and pitch. It is made up of redeemed people. And it is built through the use of our spiritual gifts and service to Christ. So what is the proper application of this text? Live a life of obedience to the Lord. Live a life of faith by doing what God's Word says to do. That's the lesson. You know, when the Bible says that we're not to forsake ourselves together, the assembling of ourselves together for worship, obey that. Obey it. When the Bible says that we are to employ our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, obey that. Use your gifts in faithful service to Him. And on and on we could go down the line. Every single command of God's Word. A life of faith is a life of obedience. Noah obeyed God and did that which was extremely difficult. We too need to obey God and do all that He has called us to do, even when it's Difficult, even when it's hard to do. MacArthur says the Lord has arks for every believer to build. It is just as important for us to build the ark He gives us as it was for Noah to build the one God assigned him. Ours may not be as big or as awesome or as time-consuming as Noah's, but it is the only one that we can build that will please God. And like Noah's, when we build it in faith, according to God's plan and by His power, it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Also, like Noah's, our work for the Lord may, be, may look foolish and purposeless in the world's eyes, but if it is His work, it will please Him. The only one a believer needs to be concerned about pleasing. Of course, I know that MacArthur had in mind not some literal building, but in a spiritual application of these truths. Perhaps you've heard the old story about the man who walked up and down the street with a sandwich sign on his back. The front of the sign said, I'm a fool for Christ. The back of the sign read, Whose fool are you? Noah was no doubt ridiculed as a fool in his day. And you know, our world loves to paint Christians in the same light in our day and time. But the truth of the matter is, in eternity, the tables will be turned it will ultimately be clear who the real fools are, those who did not believe God. Peter O'Brien wrote, For the listeners of Hebrews, Noah exemplifies those who respond by faith to God's Word. We have been called upon to do the same, to persevere in faith, looking to Comparable, unseen things, which include God's judgment on the unfaithful 
and His rewarding of the faithful. We are to emulate Noah's faith. Even though God is not going to instruct us to build an actual ark, we are to live the same kind of life of faith that He did. And we're to demonstrate our faith by doing all that God has called us to do. That's the message. God, for example, wants us to trust Him in the trials that we go through. He wants us to live by faith then when it's hard. He wants us to trust Him that His ways are always best. He wants us to worship Him rightly as Abel did and walk with Him as both Enoch and Noah did. And even though the example of Noah is not totally transferable to us today, there are many similarities between his days and ours. MacArthur says, The parallels of Noah's day to our own are sobering. In Noah's day, God's message was rejected as it is today. In His day, wickedness, immorality, violence, lewdness, vulgarity, profanity, lying, killing, and blasphemy were rampant as it is for us today. In His day, a remnant found grace just as a remnant believes today. And we know that the Bible declares that all this will one day be judged. Only the next time, the judgment will not be by water. The next time, the judgment will be by fire. This means, folks, we have much work to do. And our life of faith is needed now more than ever. It also means we must make sure that we are in the ark of God's salvation. What about you this morning? Do you know for certain that you are in the Lord's ark of safety? That you have the assurance of your salvation in Christ? You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Make sure that you are in His ark. And then let's be people of faith for Him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning... You'll help us to learn from this verse that you've given to us. And, Lord, we pray that uh, we would emulate Noah's faith. Lord, that we would be ready to do things that are difficult, that we'd be ready to even appear as fools in the world's eyes in order to follow you. Lord, help us to have the courage to do that. And, Lord, help us to do that for an entire lifetime, that we would be people of faith. Lord, I pray right now as we respond to you and your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate and quicken to our hearts and minds your truth and help us this morning to do what you want us to do in response. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.